0: Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face Be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Though I'm not a fashion blogger anymore, you're going to have to listen to episode 184 for that story. There is one thing that I firmly believe to this day. There is simply nothing better than a well-made and comfortable leather shoe. I recently discovered Bed Stew and fell in love with their leather shoes. Bed Stew's mission is to create quality products that are made to last using only the most natural ingredients. Bedstu takes pride in their four R's, recycle, reduce, reuse, and renewable. They use recycled materials, reduce landfill waste, source their materials from naturally renewable resources, and offer a restore and repair program so you can extend the life of your items. I have personally been wearing my Gia sandals from Bedstu nonstop since I got them. They're the perfect summer sandals, and I always feel so cute when I wear them, and they're just so comfy. Bedstew is giving you a 20% off on your first order when you go to bedstew.com and use code RC20 at checkout. That's B-E-D-S-T-U dot com and use code RC20 for 20% off. Welcome to the Refine Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and thank you so much for being here today. Last week on the podcast, I made a big huge personal announcement that yes, affects you as well. I am taking a sabbatical from all things podcast, Instagram, refined collective, refined woman related starting September 1st through January 1st of 2023. I've been running this platform for over 10 years and this podcast for four years straight, and I've never taken any sort of significant time off. So if you are curious about that, want to know the why behind I'm taking the break, what this means for you, what you can expect from me during this break, and what I'll be doing with my time off, Check last week's episode. I talk all about it, and this also means that today's episode is the second to last episode for the year. Next week is the final episode, which just feels nutty. Um, it's just it just feels crazy. So you will learn way more about the whole process for me in last week's episode, and. Little spoiler alert, I will still be serving my Patreon community during my sabbatical. I will be dropping the weekly exclusive coaching calls that I record and you will still get access to those. I have the monthly coaching Zoom calls that are still going to be happening all fall, only I will not be leading them. I have gathered industry coaching friends that I love, that you love, that have been on the podcast, like Sean Galanos from The Love Drive, Johan Clillian Martinez, Kate Warman, Anastasia Jones, Dr. Celeste Holbrook, who will be sort of taking the torch for me while I am away. So, so many great things still going on a Patreon. The book club will still be happening every month. We're going over the book Come As You Are from August 31st, that is next week, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, through the rest of the fall. So this is the Sex Ed 101 book that you didn't know you needed in your life, and I am so excited to be walking through that slowly with you. And then while I'm away our favorite PhD women's studies sexologist, Dr. Celeste Holbrook, will be leading the Come As You Are book club. So you guys are just going to be in great, great cans. If you are not a part of Patreon, you can join for $5 a month at patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. Now, today is an exciting episode. I have back with us Dr. Natalie Crawford. You may recognize her from episode 91, Egg Freezing 101, which you should definitely give a listen to. She also has been my fertility doctor and specialist and performed my egg freezing procedure this year. If you want to know a little bit more about her, let me just share her incredible resume and bio with you. Natalie Crawford, MD, is co-founder of four Fertility, a boutique fertility practice in Austin, Texas, and is board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Holy cow, I hope I said all that correctly. She is an affiliate clinical professor of women's health at the University of Texas Dell Medical School and just, oh my gosh, uh, I just cannot sing her praises enough. She is passionate about educating and empowering women and promotes fertility awareness through her multiple social media platforms, YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD, and she is the host of the As a Woman podcast. Dr. Crawford is also co-founder of Pinnacle Women in Medicine, which promotes community and leadership for women in medicine. She has also been named to the top doctors and top doctors for women every year since 2020 by Austin Monthly. She won Best Fertility Specialist in Austin by the 2019 Austin Birth Awards and was the recipient of the 2019 Hope Award for Social Influence by Resolve, the National Infertility Association. She was named one of Austin's top 40 under 40 in 2020 for her work empowering women. She is married to Austin native Jason Crawford, and they have two young children. And she is back on the podcast today, and we are talking all about life in a post row world. So gear up, buckle up, here we go. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Crawford. I am so honored to have you with us here today. Kat, thank
1: you so much for having me and for holding space for this discussion.
0: Man, I just feel so grateful that our paths collided. I had you on the podcast a couple years ago when I first started researching my options for fertility and egg freezing and I don't know if you remember on the podcast we recorded over the pandemic, but I was living in New York City at the time and you said, well, if you ever find yourself in Austin. I
1: remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then look at you now, girl. <laughs> look at me now. So you have walked with me through some of the most um, vulnerable conversations that I've ever had with uh, another human being and, and a doctor on my fertility journey in the last few months. So I just want to thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, this is really hard stuff that I feel like society has not prepared us to really tackle some of these big questions about our life. And they haven't really given us the education, the information we need to be making them. So I'm honored to have walked you know, these steps so far with you and you know, honored to be here talking to more people to help spread our messages. Yeah, for sure.
0: I think one of the things that has become so clear to me through my experience with you is just how much basic level knowledge I myself don't have, even just about my own body and period and cycle and let alone fertility options. And I think so many of us are kind of at ground zero and I'm an educated 37 year old woman who runs multiple businesses. And I'm like, what the hell are my options? And I think there's, there's kind of this cultural reckoning right now for so many of my friends and women and peers who were told you can do anything and everything, like go to college, get the PhD, run the businesses, be the boss babe. And then now, so many of my friends are like, "Well, now I'm nearing forty, and I, what do I do with my fertility? like I want to have kids, but I haven't met someone or it hasn't looked the way I thought it would look, And so there's already that layer, and then let's add on top of that the shit storm that mm-hmm. has been the the overturning of Roe v Wade in the last few months. Can you sort of unpack what that has meant for? you and a lot of your clients who are in a similar stage as i would say as myself.
1: Yeah, i think that you know you're so right on so many levels. So first let's just address that the world told us we could be whatever we wanted to be but also failed to prepare us that our fertility is not an ongoing endless thing and that's really left a lot of goal oriented successful people who put fertility on the back burner without ever knowing that that might be a really harmful thing and might put them further away from one of their goals. So I'm just thankful you're having this discussion. Those of us who went in to, you know, reproductive medicine in general really did it under the context of wanting to help people throughout various stages of their life. It's a very vulnerable field, as you already acknowledged, and it's really difficult and complex to understand and comes with a lot of stigma. I had no interest in joining the political arena at all in any way. And that's why I became a doctor, right? We become doctors to help people. But the interesting thing is my entire life has been under the realm of women's health broadly protected by Roe v. Wade. And what that means is if you determine that a person has the authority and the autonomy to decide what happens to their body, they get to make certain decisions. And from a reproductive health standpoint, it allows us to have certain flexibility to proceed into technology. So a great example is that IVF is newer than when Roe v. Wade was passed. It probably would not have existed had we lived in a time without that protection. And that's because we deemed with Roe that a person had the autonomy to make these decisions and essentially said that an embryo is not a person. And that's important because it allowed us to say, well, I can then, maybe I can make embryos in a lab. You know, maybe people who are having a hard time getting pregnant, we can help them by putting eggs and sperm together. Maybe people who have really bad sperm or have blocked fallopian tubes could get the joy of being able to become a parent. And that has expanded into can we save eggs or embryos for somebody who's going to have cancer treatment? Can we save eggs for somebody who's not ready to have a family yet? Can we do genetic testing to help people who've had lots of miscarriages to help somebody who started on this family journey a little bit later and is getting older and has genetic abnormalities or who carries a lethal or a really serious disease or even a cancer gene? And so reproductive technology has advanced to a level where it's really quite accessible. It's, it's still expensive, and there's still discrepancies when it comes to IVF care. But overall, in every state right now, you could go somewhere and get IVF. And of course, when it first started, that wasn't the case. You had to fly to Virginia no matter where you were. So you can go in your own home state and get IVF. And it's done in a safe and effective way, which is a huge deal. We don't have high-order multiple pregnancies anymore. We don't have people getting sick and hospitalized. And the process is much more efficient. We're able to select out those embryos with the highest potential, have a higher success rate per embryo transfer, and purposely save embryos so that we can grow our family in multiple ways, meaning I don't have to put them all inside of you right now and get you pregnant with triplets. I can get you pregnant with one baby now and then we can do it again in a few years. And the ability to freeze and thaw embryos, to do genetic testing, to put an embryo into a gestational carrier for a patient who's had her uterus removed because of cancer, the ability to use donor eggs for my young patient who went into ovarian failure early or had ovarian cancer. These are life-changing interventions that are all currently on the table as far as in some states they may be at risk or they may not be allowed. And to me, that's just so unacceptable and so devastating, not even to mention the secondary consequences of Roe being overturned, which is Inappropriate and improper management of early pregnancies. We talk about miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, and the potential limitation of contraceptive access, which we're seeing people talk about in different states. I mean, right now, nobody's introducing bills right now because um, they're not in session. But you know, we know that states are are thinking about this, and they think maybe the birth control pill is bad, or maybe IUDs are bad, and people are really walking this walk to trying to outlaw abortion all the way back to the stage of fertilization. And one thing I want to say really clearly for your audience, that's a convenient time for lawmakers. Okay. I want there to be zero abortions for whatever reason. So I'm going to try to walk this back as far as I think that that's possible. And so I'm going to say that there's no abortions after fertilization. But the reality is Not every egg fertilizes, and not every fertilized egg is going to implant, and not every implantation is ever going to make it to a baby. But if we just think physiologically, eggs and sperm meet in the fallopian tube, and it's going to take five or six days for that embryo to develop to reach the uterus and implant and begin to have a mom-baby connection, which is the placenta, and that is essential for life. And so we can't even detect a pregnancy before then. The pregnancy does not exist until it really starts to implant. And so why, from a legal standpoint, are we trying to walk things back to fertilization? Like, that's not how it works in our body. So I just have some physiologic flaws with this argument, in addition to it being dangerous, but it just also doesn't make sense with what we know about science and how our bodies work.
0: And thank you so much for sharing that. And I think as you're sharing that, what the question that keeps looming in my head is, and I, I know you've talked about this on your podcast and platform, is what precedence has been removed in the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Because I know for my myself included, you, we we don't know a life pre Roe v Wade. Roe the Roe v Wade was fifty right. years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't right. we don't know a life before then. And I'm wondering if you can maybe take a step back and kind of talk a little bit about why was Roe v Wade such a big deal when it happened? What precedent did it start? And what precedence is being removed and threatened mm-hmm. by it being overturned?
1: That's a good question. So, you know, if we look on big picture, Roe v. Wade allowed federal protection that a person has the right to an abortion if they find themselves pregnant or need an abortion. It doesn't dictate at what gestational age. And so, we've we've had states that have different gestational ages, even when Roe was intact. And we know that here in Texas, where you and I reside, you know. Senate Bill 8 was passed previously, which walked that back to a heartbeat, so like six weeks and four days. But it was still legal before that, which made it really easy for us to manage early uncertain pregnancies, and it didn't leave much controversy on certain certain aspects. But now, when you've taken away this federal federal protection saying you have to allow people the right to have a termination of a pregnancy, states get to choose what they think is appropriate and what they think is not. And one of the biggest issues here is this is going to cause huge care deserts in our country because we have regions where states are all going to do the same thing and regions where they are not. So when you see these regions, these huge landmass areas where abortion is completely outlawed. We've already seen that people have got to travel, you know, out of state, even if they have to save their own life. They have to travel if their baby's got, you know, a lethal disease or no brain and not have any chance of making it. And we're seeing mismanagement of tubal pregnancies and early pregnancy complications. So it's rolling back to the state level. And that is going to have so many downstream consequences that you're right, our generations never really thought about. One of that is... Okay, well, yes, you can't get an abortion. But two, what what about crossing state lines? Three, what about management of those miscarriages and those early pregnancy abnormalities? Number four, what about access to fertility care? Number five, access to contraception in some states may be different. And number six, and probably the most concerning, you're going to lose doctors, nurses, and, you know, embryologists and healthcare professionals from these states. When we already look right now at people who are leaving REI fellowship, people are choosing not to explore jobs as much in states that have really um, tight IVF laws or reproductive restrictions that outlaw abortion because people are afraid of the passing of what we call a personhood bill. Personhood bill is that bill that defines life at fertilization, and if that happens— It particularly could limit the ability to do IVF in a safe, effective, and efficient way. And so you're not only going to see where you got, you know, oh, I can't get an abortion in the state, but you may be aware you can't have IVF or there's very limited IVF because a lot of the doctors or the embryologists have left. We've seen a huge outpouring of maternal fetal medicine, your high-risk OB doctors here in Texas. We've seen a lot of them leave because they can't practice the way they need to. They can't counsel a patient with genetic abnormalities without fear of prosecution. It's terrible. And when you make the penalties really steep, when you say this is a felony charge, this could imprison you for 10 years. This could, you know, drain all of your finances. You know, you're going to have doctors and other providers leave. And so it's on so many different levels and I think that's why No matter one's personal beliefs on what they would do if they found themselves in a situation where they might need a pregnancy termination, the point here is that everybody deserves appropriate care, access to doctors, access to the proper management for a tubal pregnancy, the ability to do fertility care. And that's really what we're going to be losing. And it's going to be state by state. Your reproductive future is going to depend on what state you were born in or what state you live in. And these laws are going to discriminate against, you know, lower socioeconomic groups that are already discriminated against even more, that already have a hard time seeking medical care. So there's so many different layers to this that I think that we don't realize. And the last thing I'll say on this on this one thing, I'm sure we've lost to say, but one thing I want to point out is that I see patients every single day who, who are trying to get pregnant, who, who want to have a family. And every single year, I have people who need to terminate a pregnancy, a highly desired, extremely wanted pregnancy. And these are patients who often went through IVF, who have years of heartbreak behind them, who find out something that makes them be in this place that they never wanted. And very often, these people tell me, I'm pro-life, I don't want to do this. I don't terminate pregnancy, so I'm not the one counseling them. And I said, you know, everybody is essentially pro-life. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to be in this position. But you're in an impossible choice where there's no right decision. Carry your pregnancy to term. You know, have all the risks of going through labor. Have to recover and potentially lose the ability to carry a child again because, you know, you're going to be a year older when we get to do this. And pregnancy is not a health-neutral state. And your baby may be born and experience pain and these other terrible things, or choose to terminate now and maybe spare your baby that. Neither choice is good. Both of those choices are terrible. But we make it seem like we should be able to extend what we might do in that situation onto other people. That's really what politics and politicians are doing right now. And those are discussions that you should be able to make based on your own religion, your own beliefs. With your doctor, with your family, with your loved ones. And it's a highly personal, terrible choice, no matter what the answer is. And I hate seeing that we're now taking those choices away. We're making a hard situation even harder because now you have to go to New Mexico and take off three days and walk through people picketing you and you're away from your home and your mom can't come and and all these situations where now it costs you more money and it's harder to access for something that you never wanted to have to do anyway. So we're really facing a a reproductive crisis, you know, a war on women. And we're seeing that this is unprecedented times that I think our generation really doesn't know how bad it can get when it comes to some of these, I'm terrified as a healthcare provider. You know, there are these stories from OBGYNs who are older than we were of women dying from septic abortions. They illegally bought abortion pills. They tried to take herbs. They tried to induce trauma, all of those things because they couldn't access abortion and they would end up in the ICU. They'd lose their uterus. They would die. And I think we're all terrified that we know we're going to start seeing some of that again because people will be put into impossible situations. And if you... Want to help people like doctors do? That this is just a really terrifying time.
0: And I, I think what's so important that you said is, it's almost like whatever decision you're making is not a decision that you want to be making. Mm-hmm. Like no one enters this space and is like, "Oh, I just let's just have abortions all day long." Yes, yes, right. yes. Like it's it is, I imagine, full of anguish, nuance, like so many things coming up in that decision that it's like, when, when I heard you talking, what came to my head is like, it almost feels like a lose-lose. Like you're, you're not making any decision that you would be wanting to make, making in any like normal circumstance. So I feel like there's that. It's like, So I, you know, everyone on my podcast knows this. I'm not sure how much you know, Dr. Crawford, but I grew up very evangelical Christian and I still really love God. My faith is still important to me. However, what I was taught for a very, very long time was that it was my moral and ethical obligation as a Christian, as a Jesus follower to vote pro-life because, you know, all life matters and, um, you know, like save the babies and all that. And so I voted on that one issue for many, many years until I started doing my own research and realizing, okay, so If I am saying that I do not like abortion, what's the number one way to actually decrease abortion rates? And I found, wow, actually, okay, overturning Roe v. Wade definitely does not decrease abortion rates at all. In fact, it only makes it more painful, life-threatening, and um, criminalizes it, and And then also I look at who, I ask this question with any, anything in my life is who is suffering from this belief or narrative or policy and who is benefiting from it. And so I look at the abortion policies in our country and I ask the question, who benefits, who suffers, who benefits is typically white men in power. Who is suffering? Well, everything that you just said of if if abortion keeps continuing to be criminalized and r- this war on women's body, besides the fact that we haven't even talked about the idea that should the government be able to tell a, a, a woman what she can what and can't do. do with her body? Because they're definitely not saying what a man can and can't do with his body. Um, so it's primarily directed at women. So when I look at you unpacking. So how are women actually who are in an impossible situation, who have to decide this decision to abort? What are they having to do? They're having to go out of state. They're having to put their livelihood at risk, their financial freedom at risk. They could go to jail. All right. of this. Well, if you're rich enough, if you have you enough money it. and you enough power and privilege and a job that supports uh, paid time off, you can do that. But if you are vulnerable in our culture, if you work an hourly wage or on contract or, you know, if basically who suffers the most, the people who are most vulnerable in our society are who suffers the most from this policy. And if I am believing in a faith that is like this life of Jesus, what did Jesus do? constantly moved towards and advocated for the vulnerable and the oppressed. And so I, my clearly my viewpoint has changed a lot over the years. Um, but I just, I get goosebumps when I think of it. Cause I, when all this happened, Dr. Crawford, I thought I was saying, and I think a lot of people were saying, wow, it feels like we're in the show handmaid's tale. Like all these things that you're like, that won't happen. That won't happen. And then another thing happens. And then one of my black girlfriends was like, yeah, all you white girls are so privileged to say that now it's handmaid's tale for you because it's been like this for us for hundreds and hundreds of years here. Because there's never been protection for especially women of color in our country. And this policy just ensures that um, lower w- women in lower eco- socioeconomic circumstances are going to be unprotected.
1: You know, I think you have so many good points. And um, I grew up in a Christian household and my sister's married to a Baptist pastor and we have a lot of these conversations a lot. I grew up in South Georgia. So I similarly grew up in an idea where abortion just equaled bad, wrong. It had this really negative connotation that it was something you couldn't outwardly support in any way. And when I went to medical school was really when I realized nothing here is black and white and no, nobody wants to be making these choices. And if you really care about people, and you really care about life, you have to understand life is a complex topic when it comes to a pregnancy because there's two lives involved. And the pregnancy itself, the fetus does not survive without the mom. And that we really have to focus on what keeps mom alive, what helps mom out, and that every single pregnancy has a risk of dying. Everyone does. I mean, I think every OBGYN you ever meet will tell you a story about a patient who came in with a low-risk pregnancy who did not walk out of the hospital because pregnancy carries inherent risks, right? It used to be one of the top killers of women. And we've done a lot with modern medicine, but there's just still some things you cannot control. That should be your decision if you're risking that or not and not the government's. That should be your decision if you're risking that, even more so if you have four other kids at home, if you have a medical condition like lupus or cancer that it may kill you and this really shouldn't be such a black and white issue if we care about life i always say the pro life campaign just did a better marketing job they really yeah. were able to do a better they had better marketing they had a better tagline and they really were able to convince many people that that was the morally right choice without expanding the conversation and that's what we've done on the other end is we haven't really forced people to say this isn't a black or white issue it's not about do we want babies to live? Of course we want babies to live. But I always say I'm a fertility doctor. My, my literal job is to help people have babies, like to have more life. Yet I am a fierce advocate for reproductive rights and for access to abortion because studies have constantly shown us that just like you said, restricting access does not decrease abortions. The best thing to decrease abortions is proper sex ed and contraceptive counseling. And that if you want to decrease the number of abortions that there are, you need to make it safe and accessible. You need to help people at an earlier standpoint. You need to give parental leave, you need to help people with, you know, payments for children and universal preschool and a bunch of other social issues that if we're really pro life should be really high on the priority, not just forced birth. So I like the narrative of what this really is. This isn't pro life. This is forced birth. This is controlling women. This is putting people in really terrible positions and it's taking their choice away. I think that choice is your choice to make. It's a hard choice no matter what, as we said. But now you don't have one. In many states, you don't have one. And I am really fearful that we're going to see the pro-life camp walk this back. And when birth control and IUDs become illegal, when Plan B becomes illegal, tell me how that narrative is in line with trying to decrease abortions or save lives that's really about reproductive control and it's about power. And that's a really scary place to live in, especially now, right? Like how have 50 years gone by and we just watched rights being taken away? It is wild and scary.
0: I'm in my mid thirties, single and want to have kids one day. If you're in my Patreon community and watched my video about my fertility journey, you know that I recently tested my fertility levels because I want to be proactive now to know what my options can be in the future. Because you don't show up to a marathon race without having been diligent in your training, right? So if you're a woman and think you might be interested in having kids one day, it's time today to take ownership over your fertility so you can know all of your options. Modern Fertility makes it easy and affordable to test your fertility hormones right at home with a simple finger prick. You mail it in with a prepaid label and get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. You can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and your options for next steps. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds and even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com refined. When it comes to my wardrobe, I definitely adopted some minimal habits while I was living in Brooklyn with a tiny closet. But I also grew to realize that accumulating clothes can not only feel overwhelming and wasteful, but bad for the environment. Recently, I discovered The Resolve. They discreetly partner with premium brands' extra inventory by de-branding their goods and offering brandless products at up to 70% off. That means you can get amazing, high-quality goods at a fraction of the price, all while knowing you are helping to minimize the harmful impact on the environment. Did you know the fashion industry overproduces more than $500 billion in clothing each season and contributes nearly 10% of all global carbon emissions? This was mind blowing to me and made me want to consume more consciously. That's why when I discovered the Resolve, it not only made me feel good shopping sustainably, but I've loved the additions to my wardrobe at an incredible price. Right now, the Resolve is offering our listeners an additional 20% off when you go to theresolve.com and use discount code refined20 at checkout. That's theresolve.com and use Refined 20. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here is because I feel the last few years in the in, in this platform, in the podcast, I've been trying to shake my audience up, like grab them by the shoulders and be like, Le- learn about your fertility, like learn about sex ed. I, I teach quarterly sex ed 101 workshops now um, with a PhD sexologists that I adore. And one of those reasons is because what you just shared, the number one way to decrease abortion rates is through proper sex ed and access to contraceptions. And I think what I have found with so many women, myself included, is that I wasn't interested in fertility until it became an issue for me. until, until I realized, Oh, I want to have a baby now. Whereas I think it's the whole like vitamin versus like painkiller argument of like, (laughs) if you took the vitamins, then you might not need like the painkiller later on, but it's so much easier to sell like a, whatever, like a NyQuil or whatever it is, because it's like, Oh, I have a pain in my arm. I need Advil right now, as opposed to prepping, educating beforehand so that you don't need like the crisis intervention or whatever. And so what I am so curious about and what your thoughts are is how do we make people care about this? (laughs) Um, And are there organizations out there that are working with policy that can give more information? Because I feel like I've wanted to talk about the whole Roe v. Wade thing since it happened in June, but I was like, I'm not an expert and I don't know what news source is credible. And I really trust you. So I was watching a bunch of your stuff, but I felt this like, wow, I don't know which of what information is like fake news. What is fear mongering on either side of the argument And so I think I've been struggling with, here we are, you know, two months out from the overturning and I'm just having this convo with you because I have felt, man, I want to do my own research before I blast something from a public microphone, but how can we learn about this stuff and what are trustworthy resources and organizations that are actually trying to move the needle forward in a healthy way?
1: I love this question and I feel like I prepped you for this, but I didn't. You know, we felt the same way. So I'll just resonate with you, right? As a professional in this field, I felt completely helpless when, you know, the Dobbs decision came down and realized that there's nobody really advocating well for us who are expressing what is true and what's not true. Like there's so many politicians who say ridiculous things, let's just address them for a minute, like that you could reimplant a tubal pregnancy into the uterus. You can't do that. That if you, you know, you can't get pregnant from, you know, a rape, obviously that's false. You know, that if you, there's all these different things that people are saying that are just medically totally unsound and they they blow my mind every time. So one, we do want to speak from a place of science and authority and we want people who are going to advocate politically in a way that can induce change. I'll tell you that six of us just started a nonprofit, which is going to have a pack arm called doctorsforfertility.org, and it is bipartisan. But its so single issue is about reproductive rights, fertility access, and making sure that people have the autonomy to control the decisions and access to care no matter what state that they live in. And so that's one thing we'd love for people to get to get involved with. You can get on our email list and there's going to be on the ground activities. So if you're feeling helpless and you want to join and you want to know you're joining something that can be helpful, this organization is started by Your Fertility Doctors Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, who's an OBGYN, who's really amazing and a huge advocate for sexual health and contraception, has started a nonprofit called 3forfreedom.org. And it is helping people learn more about abortion management if they need one, helping people get access to care. And I think that's just really important in case you find yourself in a position. And it's also talking about contraception. So if you need access to contraception, but you maybe can't get to the doctor. There's online resources that can help you. So threeforfreedom.org is hers. Doctorsforfertility.org is ours. And, you know, we're looking to kind of play this from an educational standpoint. How can we help educate the public and get people more involved in voting and understanding what elections matter on a local level and on a bigger level? But the truth is, now that things have been rolled back to the state, your small elections matter the most. The people in power at your state are going to have a lot of control over what everybody in that state gets access to or if they're criminally charged for things. And so attorney general, governor, and the people who make up you know, your house in your state are going to be really important. And those are elections that I think a lot of people sometimes don't pay that much attention to. We just think about the national ones. So I really need to encourage people to vote and get out there and learn more. The other thing is that we're seeing our professional organizations come to the table. So ASRM is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. They've started putting out more educational content, as has ACOG, the American College of OBGYN. So those groups are on social media like everything else. You can follow them on Instagram, but they're putting out information to help you stay relevant if you want to know what's happening in your state. ASRMs even broken down different upcoming laws or concerning factors by different states if when it comes to fertility care or personhood bills. So there are trustworthy resources out there. But what I really want your audience to think about is how stigmatized all of this has been for so long and how we don't talk about our periods and so we don't talk about our fertility or we don't talk about our lack of fertility. And we don't talk about abortion because it's controversial and it makes people feel icky. And what happens is that we don't talk about things so then they become non-important. We really need to push people to share here. Just like you do, Kat, you share your egg freezing story, you share your fertility journey. Those things resonate. You know, Having people talk about Why access to fertility treatment? Why access to reproductive care matters? I talk about my ectopic pregnancy story all the time because I was able to have treatment for that, didn't have to have surgery, and went on to have my kids. But if I had that same scenario right now, I might not get treated the same way. And that is terrible. And so I think that when we share our vulnerabilities and we share our stories, we're using our most powerful tool because then we break down the idea that abortion equals bad and we start to say abortion is healthcare. It's a part of healthcare that hopefully you never have to come across and you never have to be in that position. But abortion means ending a pregnancy. And pregnancies end because you choose to end them, they can end on their own. Let's remember it's a medical word, right? We have missed abortion and spontaneous abortion and incomplete abortion. Those are medical words that really mean, that we say miscarriage for. Miscarriage is socially more acceptable than abortion. But really, when we start talking about this, we start to force other people to get uncomfortable and recognize that it's, it's not as easy as we thought. It's not just let me be good and be on this morally right team because, of course, who doesn't want to choose the good team over the bad team? And we start to talk about it, we break down those preconceived notions and we start to make people face the reality that this issue is a lot more complex than the marketing campaign told us it was and that we really need to think about our core and our values and what we want our government to regulate And if we say we care about supporting other people and we care about life and we care about being a good citizen or helping the most vulnerable people, we really need to think about what that means because the marketing campaign we've been sold has been really good and it may not actually be true to those core values. And so that's what I challenge your audience. And that's why I think sharing and having these conversations is one of the most important things that we can do.
0: Yeah, I think as you're sharing... What I think what I'm thinking is when we share stories, we humanize ourselves and each other and we humanize the other. When we share who we are, when we're vulnerable, it it removes the us versus them. Yes. And I think so to your point of, yeah, who doesn't want to be on the right team? who wakes up and is like i want to be on the wrong team right to be on the evil team I want to today be on the evil team right. yes and wouldn't life be so simple and easy if it was an algebra equ- equation like Well, Y equals MX plus B. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And here is the formula that works on black and white paper, but humans, the human experience is all sorts of gray and there's so much nuance. And I think what used to feel so threatening to me about some of that rhetoric is it was like, well, like that feels threatening as a person of faith, because like are we saying that there's no absolute truth and everyone just lives their own truth? And now I think, well, no, just being human is hard. And if we think about, are there any other situations in our lives where we allow people to make decisions with them, with their own selves, with their family, with their doctors about whether or not to continue a life? I think, well, yeah, that happens every day in hospitals when you have a loved one who something happens and they go into a coma, right. an indefinite coma. Well, or when do you we, stop cancer treatment, right? Do we stop cancer treatment? We all get to choose, do we want to have a do not resuscitate on our, on our, I don't know, I was going to say our calling card. I don't know if it's on our driver's license or what that's on. But uh, so many families are put in the ethical dilemma, the unfortunate decision that no family member wants to make for whether it's their child, their parent, a loved one of, do we pull the plug? And what would, what would they have wanted? You know, and that is a situation that I've thought about as this whole thing has come about, because we are like so big on protecting life, but I, I've just been thinking, but we do have other scenarios kind of like you said, like no one wants to make this decision. Like this is not a situation that anyone wants to be in, but yet we allow people to choose the DNR or do I continue with cancer treatment? Do I do another round of chemo? Do we pull the plug or not on this loved one that might be in an indefinite coma? Um, Or if they're all, all those different scenarios and we allow people to get in touch with their faith, their religion, their code of ethics, their own morality, their own right and wrong, and also through having scientific information and hopefully supportive conversations with their doctors. And that's not criminalized. I doubt that that any of those sort of conversations at this moment in time are being threatened, um, unless you have news to share with me on that, because <laughs> um, what it seems like is that it's all about women's rights. Um, yeah.
1: No, none of those things are currently on the chopping block. Nobody's talking about you can't have a DNR or you have to do cancer treatments to the end or you can't you know, decide when... Your family member should be an organ donor or if you want to be an organ donor or any of those conversations because we've given, we've respected the body and the right to say life is a really complex thing. And there's moments where we might need to make a personal decision about what we continue and what we don't continue. And especially when we look at pregnancy in the first, we'll just use really broad terms, the first half of pregnancy, a baby cannot survive outside. Without a placenta and a mom, right? It cannot take a breath. It cannot survive. Yet, right now, we are okay as a society, saying it's okay if mom dies. We're okay sacrificing mom's life for the idea that that baby, you know, should should be granted. And I had this case when I was a resident that really stuck with me. And I was at Parkland Hospital, which is in Dallas, and you know, took care of a lot of the indigent population. And this young patient was in her early twenties, and she had a few other kids, and she came in pregnant and was diagnosed with a a leukemia, an acute crisis, and you need treatment immediately. And she did not want to terminate her pregnancy, right? It's her right to do so. And she was counseled by everybody that her cancer would kill her in the context of the pregnancy, and it would kill her baby, you know, too. And that she would leave her husband widowed and leave her other kids without a mom. But she was convicted that that was the only choice she could live with. And that's okay, right? She deserved the right to make that choice. And she died and her baby died. And it was terif- terrible to watch. But I just think about right now, we've, we're have we now forcing people to live that reality and not to say, what's the right choice for me? And how unfair is that to every family to not say that you guys need to as a family unit or you as a person gets to say, you know as much as i want this baby i want to be a mom to my other kids too and i'm going to do this terrible decision i'm going to choose this thing i don't want to choose because i have no right choice because every choice is wrong but none of those other none of those other things are at risk right so it's just about a uterus and a pregnancy and it's it's really these time periods when the baby's not even viable outside of mom because the marketing campaign has told you that all these late-term abortions happened after babies could be totally full-term and survive outside the womb, and that that does not happen. Those circumstances are so rare and typically are very hard to get approved, and it's only for, you know, extenuating circumstances that you would ever consider terminating a pregnancy. I think the statistics is like less than 1% of all abortions. So that's not these late-third trimester terminations. That's not what happens it's usually earlier in pregnancy. It's usually at a time. It's. I mean, it's definitely at a time where the fetus is non-viable and that for whatever reason is on the table, that person who is pregnant has made the choice that that's not the option that's right for them. And there's also not for birth control. People will say, oh, people are using abortion for birth control. That is not true, Right. People choose abortion because they feel like they have no other choice in front of them because they can't afford a child, because they can't take care of the children in front of them, because they can't take off time from work to be pregnant because they work a low-end job, because their baby has you know, disabilities or defects or birth defects or genetic disease that's going to make it incompatible with life, because mom has cancer or some medical condition that makes it too dangerous to be pregnant. There are so many circumstances that we can't even wrap our head around all of them, because that's what medicine is. It's all these one-off scenarios. And I think you're right. We just aren't seeing a limitation across the board. We're really seeing it restricted to people when they're pregnant. And it's really concerning about what the motivation is behind these political laws.
0: Man, thank you so much for sharing that and just bringing your expertise. And you have such Compassion in, in, in how you deliver and share things. And I've, I've experienced that in my own working with you, and even just as you're unpacking all this today. And, and as we've touched on so much throughout the episode, education and information is so key here. Um, and I know you have so much that you offer. And honestly, I don't even know how you do it because you're a full-time doctor and you have your own family and kids. Uh, But can you just run us through what resources you offer for fertility, all the above?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD, and TikTok of the same name. I have a YouTube channel, which is Natalie Crawford, MD, which has lots of good educational content. And I host the As a Woman podcast podcast which is, you know, really great in-depth episodes. So you can search my website for content. There's a resources section and you can type in egg freezing and you can see all the egg freezing content I have, whether it's a blog post or a YouTube video or a podcast episode. So I encourage people to go there if they're trying to learn some about their body. And then I also, if you're wanting to support this issue more, we're on Instagram at doctors for fertility, or you can visit our website, doctors for and if you're in Texas and you're looking to potentially learn more about your fertility or become a patient or you're having infertility, we're at Fora Fertility here in Austin, Texas.
0: And am I right in saying that you have a, a fertility course that is out Ah, now? you
1: are right. Yes. So yes. I just launched it this month and it's there have been so many people sign up and the feedback's been so great, but it is a lifestyle and fertility course. So it really covers 10 modules learning about your period, your hormones, how your lifestyle impacts fertility, what you should know if you want to be pregnant one day, what you need to do to help preserve your fertility when you're thinking about these different things. And it has, you know, information on both female and male factor fertility. So it is years of work put into it. It's called the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course, and you can find more information about it on my website Natalie Crawford, MD.com, And thank you so much, Ken.
0: Yeah. And who is it for? Is it for just people who are wanting to get pregnant right no, now? It's not. So I have, it's really, I tried to
1: make it all encompassing. So if you want to learn more about like your periods, your hormones and how your world interacts with them, you're going to love the course. There's information on fertility that you can save for when you're ready so that you start that chapter really well-knowing, but probably about a third of the people who are in the course right now are not trying to get pregnant. They're just trying to learn more about their body. Probably a third of the people are trying to get pregnant naturally, just wanting to understand more about cycle tracking and how to optimize their fertility. And probably the other third are more deep into the fertility treatment realm, but wanting to learn more about the whys behind what we're doing or how their lifestyle could impact their outcomes and things that modern medicine really doesn't spend much time talking about. And I really view the body as one Whole unit. You know, what impacts one organ system is going to impact the other. So, really challenging people to look at how they treat their body and try to treat it with kindness and respect overall, because as you know, nothing is guaranteed in the fertility world. It is a really hard journey. And I think people need the knowledge to kind of lead into that, being able to have the best outcome possible.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I am so glad that you put out this course. I'm so grateful for it. I'm going to share it on on my platforms. We'll link it in the show notes as well. And so much of what we talk about here, guys, as you know, is knowledge, information. The only way that we can give and receive informed consent on any topic is through information. So if you're listening to this and you're like, well, like, but I don't agree with this stuff, or I I don't know about this. Just be, what would it be like to be curious and information gather here, um, because that truly is the way that we can approach life with informed consent is when and if we have that information and knowledge. So thank you, Dr. Crawford, for your time. I know you have to run. You're running off and saving lives. (laughs) And so I'm so (laughs) grateful for the work you're doing. And yeah, hopefully we'll get to have you back on sometime. Thank you so much.